0: ask you to open up with me to Matthew, Matthew 28 this morning. Well, it's my understanding in years past, you have at least on occasion had a missionary come in on missions emphasis Sunday. And I will tell you that we tried. We tried, but... Uh uh, there, there wasn't uh, anyone that we were aware of uh, that was a missionary that was available on this day. We thought we had one lined up, but um, his availability filled up uh, for the rest of his time here. So, um, that means you're stuck with your, your normal speaker this morning. So, uh, we're gonna look, though, at Matthew 28, and we're gonna broaden our uh, focus, though, not just upon missions, But the connection I want to make this morning is how foreign missions fits into the mission of the church. So foreign missions is one of the things that we do to fulfill the mission that Jesus Christ has given his church. So we're going to look at Matthew 28, where we see the commission that he has given to the church. And we're going to read verses 18 to 20 and then go to the Lord in prayer, uh, and then we'll talk about these things. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. say, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you allow sinful people to be part of the work that you do. We know that that is accomplished by the work that Christ did, that he died on our behalf, he, he being perfect, Sinless and uh, perfectly obedient to you, the Heavenly Father. He uh, willingly gave His life that He uh, then could pay for our sins, raised again, showing that payment was made in full, uh, and that we can have life through Him. Father, we understand it's through the work of Christ that we can be forgiven, and we understand uh, those that you forgive, you give your spirit to and is by the work of your spirit in our lives that we're able to do things to honor you and we thank you for that privilege. I pray that you would help everyone in this room to consider their connection, their part in the work that you're doing because as I hope uh, will be made clear, Father, to, to everyone here We all have responsibility. We all have a part in the work that you're doing. And I pray that you'd help us not to be passive and just sit back and want to take everything in, but that we would respond and do what you want us to do, to do our part in this great eternal work that you're doing. And may you use your word to encourage us. Father, I know this is a familiar passage. Help it to be fresh uh, and encouraging and challenging all at the same time we ask these things in jesus name amen so it's a common thing for people to speak about churches and judge churches based on many different things and and in my observation i've been a pastor for over 10 years of my life in, at least in a part-time capacity, and uh, you, you run into lots of different people, lots of different experiences and responses that they have to church, and even uh, family members or coworkers. you may hear say things like this. People, people talk about their visits to churches, or they talk about a church in terms like this that I think miss what a church is really supposed to be about. People will say things like, oh, I really like that church because it's really friendly. Or people will say they didn't like that church because it wasn't very friendly. Or people will talk about the pastor as a really caring individual, and so therefore I really like that church, or (laughs) he's a really cold, mean pastor, and so I don't like that church. Or they'll talk about uh, the church because they like it because they feel comfortable, or they like a church because they enjoy the music. Well, um, these are things that people really do say about churches but they're not really what the church is all about. The church has a mission and that mission is what we find in Matthew 2818 to 20. That's what the church is supposed to be about. It is the work that Jesus Christ is doing in this world and that we're to be a part of and I believe, Everything we do as a church, you can summarize in some fashion of what's found here in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So as we look at this this morning, I want to walk you through a, th- a few things as we look at the mission of the church. And, and, and hopefully I'll make the connection clear how foreign missions fits into the mission of the church. Um, so we won't miss that as an emphasis point, but it's not the only point of emphasis this morning. I want you to see, first of all, as we look at this passage, Matthew 18, or 28, 18 to 20, I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus Christ lays out the authority for this mission. He says in verse 18, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth." Now, I know many of you are familiar with this passage. But it, it says in that phrase, all authority. Uh, I'm sorry. Before that phrase, it says, "And Jesus came up and spoke to them." I didn't clarify yet, and I just want to make it very clear: the "them" he's talking to is are his apostles. So he's talking to the apostles, those that are going to be responsible to carry out this work and pass that on to future generations, essentially. Uh, but he's talking to the apostles and he is describing to them the work that needs to happen in the church throughout the ages as as we see at the end of the passage how he says even to the end of the age so he's talking to the apostles but we also understand this is the the work of the church throughout the church age so he says first of all that there is authority for this work what's the authority for this work well let me first of all talk about the meaning of authority. Authority can be defined as, and this is actually a uh, dictionary, if you will, that's based on the, the Greek word used here for authority, and because and the, the Greek was the original language for the New Testament. The word is defined as the right to control or command. Authority, absolute power. So the idea it can be translated and it is this word multiple times uh, throughout the New Testament in either the use of the word authority or the use of the word power but we should understand the idea of power and what this word means is not the idea of power that we have tons of strength or might the idea is the right to control the the power to demand compliance that's what authority here means. Or another word we might use to describe this is authorization. So the command, the, the uh, mission that he is laying out here, he is saying is authorized from the supreme power, the supreme authority. God himself has authorized this work. Therefore, this mission of the church is authorized for all places, for all people, everywhere, regardless of what other countries or even our own country might try to say contrary to this. Now, we have enjoyed in this country a great freedom, at least in the last 200 and so years, we've enjoyed a freedom to do the work, the mission of the church, as Jesus Christ describes here, Mostly without hindrance, because of the freedoms written into the the basic laws of our country, but even in the early days when settlers came over into our country, that wasn 't exactly true it's part of the motivation for the things that were written and the bill of rights that were created We, we have in this country the freedom to carry out the mission of the church, but even if We didn't have government's blessing on this work. It still is given under the authority of God Almighty, and therefore is to be carried out, even if government stands in the way. So, uh, I've told you uh, already how my wife and I have had the privilege to go to the country of China this past summer in China as I understand from the people that we talked to there essentially you can believe what you want as an individual but you are not allowed by law to proselytize or that is seek to make converts that is not allowed by law so that country has a law that contradicts with the authority of jesus christ and what he says should be happening in the world so who wins in that conflict of authority jesus christ we have authority from god we have authorization from god to carry out the mission of the church there can't be higher authority so as we point out here also the source of authority he mentions uh, he says all authority has been given to me. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And these three are one, as we're also going to see later on, where it talks about baptizing and being baptized into the name uh, of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. There is uh, three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, but one God. This authority for the mission of the church comes from God. There is no higher authority. He is the Son of God. And he says here, authority has been given to me. You might say, well, from eternity past, if you know your theology, from eternity past, he's been the Son of God. Why would he speak of having been given this authority? Well, if you understand from Philippians chapter 2, it talks there in Philippians chapter 2 about the humiliation of Christ or the emptying of himself in becoming man. He he willingly subjected himself to the will of the Father in in taking upon himself human form and uh, limitations uh, that go along with that. And he willingly set aside uh, some uh, independent exercise of his attributes during that time so that he would eventually suffer death and uh, be buried and then raised again on the third day. And so therefore, in the sense, what he's saying is he's, re- he's appeared to his apostles after the resurrection, and he's saying he had to go through that period of hum- humiliation leading up to the cross, but the suffering servant, as spoken of in Isaiah, is now the risen Lord he is exercising authority his rights as the son of god saying this is the mission that the church needs to be doing so the authority for the church comes from god in carrying out this mission and notice the extent of this authority applies to he says all things are all authority in heaven and on earth so In heaven, we would think of authority, therefore, being included over the angels. And that would include both good and evil angels. He has authority over them. He has authority over all things on the earth that is, all kings, all kingdoms, all people. Every human authority and institution of human authority, he is supreme over, and they ultimately will answer to him. So this authority to carry out the mission of the church comes from the highest authority. So we have authority to accomplish the work of Christ under his uh, authority and command. There should therefore be no reservations about our right no king or ruler of this world has the right to oppose that doesn't mean they won't they often do but we have the right to carry it out we therefore can do so without fear because god has uh, given this command for our mission to be carried out and therefore we should have no fear god is in control and god is pleased when therefore we obey and carry out his word That may mean there are consequences. That may mean we encounter people that resist us or that are unhappy with us or attack us or injure us or even in extreme cases may try to take our life. But the authority for this work comes from God. There is no higher. Now, it should be a very reassuring thing to understand. The authority for this work comes from God. Have you ever been in a work situation where your boss perhaps was away, and you had to make a decision, you had to deal with a problem because your boss was away, and you're sort of the one in charge, and you're not exactly sure what's gonna happen in that case, maybe you have a boss like this. You're, you're worried your boss is gonna treat you like this, or, or, or perhaps this is a more accurate picture of your boss here. Have you had a boss like that? Have you had situations like that being where I see at least some nods of the head? Right? I, I, uh, I work at a big uh, university. I have uh, many bosses, in fact. Uh, but uh, my boss was away this week. Thankfully there weren't any uh, super critical decisions that had to be made. But it can be an uncomfortable thing, right? When your boss is away, you may have some general guidance on how to deal with things, but you may not always know what's best. Um, And sometimes you worry that the boss is going to come back and give you a hard time about that, right? Well, in this case, God is the authority. We have absolute clarity. This is his work. There is nothing to fear. He has commanded this work, which we're going to explain a little bit. uh, But ultimately, it's God's authority that we're operating on and carrying out this work. I would just bring up to you the situation of member Peter and John. They were preaching in Jerusalem after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. They were sharing the gospel and many people were coming to know Christ. Many people were repenting of their sins, trusting in Christ, and the Jewish leaders were furious about this. So they at one time they pulled in Peter and John and they threatened them and said, you need to stop this. And this is what Peter and John answered back to them. They said, whether it is right, this is from Acts 4, 19 to 20. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The authority to preach the gospel, to seek for people to be converted, comes from God and there is no greater authority. We need to be engaged in this work. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, Apostles early on, before his crucifixion, told them in response to Peter's confession of faith, he told them in Matthew 16 18, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There is much resistance to the work, there, is, uh, there are authorities in the world that may try to stop this work, but ultimately the authority is from God and therefore must be carried out. So, we see a clear line of authority in the work. What then is the work? What are the activities involved in this work? Look at verses 19 and 20, and we'll see the answer there. We'll see, first of all, the main activity. The main activity is making disciples. If you look at this verse, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that the Lord commanded you, or that I commanded you. All right, so we see there, you might be tempted to think go is the main verb there, especially in light of uh, missions emphasis. We might think go is the the main verb. We need to go across the world and share the gospel. We do, but the main command of that verse is make disciples. That's the main point he's making. We need to be making disciples disciples of all the nations. It's the only true command or imperative in these two verses to make disciples that are those that are converts, those who repent of their sins and come to trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. A disciple is a learner. It's somebody who is committed to learning and imitating. And our in our culture, we might think of the idea of an apprentice in a workplace environment. So, uh, some people, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a tradesperson, so I'm not an expert on this, but an apprentice is somebody who is basically learning to become the expert in that field. So, they are working with somebody to teach them so that they can then do that on their own and be certified and be able to do that. An apprentice is a learner, that's the idea of a disciple. It is someone who is learning from to imitate, and in this case, the one we're imitating is Christ, and the objective is to be imitators of Christ, but the basic idea involves a knowledge of Christ so that we can ultimately live like him, to be like him. Just by way of illustration, I'll give you a couple pictures to illustrate children are great examples of the kinds of things we're talking about, right? It's very natural for children to be imitators of what they see, right? So as an example here, you see a son trying to learn to tie a tie like dad, right? It's a common practice. Children watch what their parents do to imitate them. Or even sometimes silly little gestures and things children may imitate, right? For some cases, children are very committed to being the imitators and they strive to be exactly like their parent, right? So this concept of disciple, I think you can see is pretty clear. It's one who is learning to be like somebody else, and that includes both a knowledge and a behavior. But I want you to also think about with me the focus of this work of making disciples, is it about programs? Is the focus of the work that we just have a program? We have an Awana, we have a King's Kids, we have a, a Kids for Youth, we have a Sunday School. Is that ultimately the focus of the work? No, the focus of the work is people. Our, we should therefore be tuned in to the fact that the need is to focus on people and how we are seeking to be involved in the discipling of other people. As parents, we have a responsibility to disciple our children. We are to be bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All of us, though, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a member uh, of his body, you should be engaged in the process of discipleship. We also should be engaged in the process of being disciples. We never get to the point where we've reached perfection. Or we'll say a little bit more about that later. But we all should both be a discipler and being discipled. But this happens in the context of relationships. We need to be careful not to just get caught up in the programs and activities of the church, realizing it's about people. Now, Nothing wrong with having programs programs may be our means of doing discipleship But what's remember the purpose is for discipleship. It's for the people not just for the sake of the activity All right, and what's the means of making disciples the means of making disciples is preaching the gospel How do people become disciples they believe the gospel? Let's look uh, over at Romans 10 Romans 10 quickly We'll jump back to Matthew here in just a moment. But Romans 10 talks about this means of people coming to know the Lord. How does that process happen? Romans 10, 14 to 17. Romans 10, 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah. He's speaking of Israel here. Uh, Isaiah says, look who has believed our report. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What does he use to make disciples? His word. What does he use to get his word out there? Preachers. But we should not understand this to mean only people who spend their lifetimes going out to foreign mission fields or people who are pastors in our own country. But it is all of us as we take the message of the gospel. We all should be involved in spreading that message. Because it is the means that he uses. He uses his word, but he uses people. We need to be actively engaged. I I don't have time to turn there and walk you through the whole story. But I think many of you are familiar with Acts chapter 8. There's an Ethiopian man who is reading from Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah about the passage about Jesus Christ and his suffering. And he doesn't understand it. But the Spirit of God tells Philip to go and talk to this man. And he does. And Philip says, do you understand? And and the man says, well, how can I except somebody explain it to me? So Philip explains to him the purpose of Isaiah and how it was a prophecy about Christ coming and suffering, dying on the cross, and, be, and raising again, so that our sins could be forgiven because of his work, dying on our behalf. He had the scriptures that explained that, but God used a man to make it clear to him. Now, ultimately, the means of his salvation or becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ was the scriptures and the work of the Spirit. But God uses people to take that message. And that's why we see, again, the context of relationships and also the importance of this participle here. It says going or go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There is a going that needs to happen is part of this work. There are people that need to hear the gospel message all across the world. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 1 in verse 8, our Lord talks about how they would be witnesses for him and he talks about them being witnesses for him in multiple locations. He talks about them being witnesses for him in Jerusalem, So Jerusalem, for them, would have been their local area. And then Judea, he talks about. That's a greater surrounding area. And then he talks about Samaria, another surrounding area. And in that case, actually, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. So sometimes in taking the gospel message, it may be to people that we're disinclined to because of our own biases or uh, heritage, um, we were, again, we were in China, and what was interesting um, was that many of the Chinese people struggle with their attitudes towards the Japanese people. That's a real conflict. So in telling the, uh, the, the example of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus is basically saying, the one who did, uh, did love his neighbor was the Samaritan, and how hard that was for the Jews to hear that, uh, in, the, in the context for the Chinese people, it's Japanese that they have that kind of struggle with. Well, we may also have different groups of people that we struggle with, that's not right. But the point that I'm making here that Jesus makes is the gospel is for everyone. We need to take the gospel to everyone. And he also says they're ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth and this is where missionaries come in and fit into this. They are taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we as a church participate in that work, or ultimately are fulfilling the responsibility of that through our involvement in missions. We give, we pray, and those are the parts of the work that we're doing to partner with these missionaries so that we fulfill God's command to us. And this command i want to stress is not just for loose groups of individuals to carry out the point is it's carried out in the context of the local church so we as a church decide upon who is going to represent us in these foreign countries they're acting as representatives for local churches over here and they are carrying out the work that fulfills what we see here in the Great Commission or the mission of the church or the discipling of people across the world. And we participate by giving and through prayer and our ministry to those people, to encourage them. Like we've had opportunities to interact with them. We encourage them. These are all things we do to partner with so that we can fulfill our responsibilities in this mission. But it is not just a matter of making disciples. It is also a... Role, we have a role in maturing the disciples. There is a growth that needs to happen. There is a conversion where people turn from their sin and trust in Christ, but there's also a maturing process that needs to happen. And he describes what's involved in that maturing process here. He says, uh, in the second half of 19, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the first step of growth there is that of Baptism baptism is the initial major step of growth in the life of a new convert. Someone who refuses to be baptized may be an indication that their faith isn't genuine or that they are struggling to obey the Lord. And this, this is the beginning of major step of obedience. The other thing that happens with baptism, it's not just a... It's not just a step that has no other meaning or connection. It's connected to us identifying with the Lord, making our profession of faith public. We're acknowledging publicly that we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we are his disciples, and we're joining with his body, which is represented by that local church. So, baptism is a significant step, an important step of obedience. So, I, I imagine many of you could say similarly, but... Um, I had an experience um, a few years ago with a coworker worker who uh, took this step of baptism and it, it made a dramatic change in his life. Now, let me clarify. Baptism does not save a person. Baptism doesn't wash away sins. It is for believers. It happens after conversion. It is a decision to identify publicly with Christ and become part of his local body, the, the church. But, Uh, baptism can result, therefore, in significant growth once you take that step of obedience. So I had a coworker who was in his late 40s, maybe early 50s at the time, we had a long lunch, and I didn't know much about him, so I learned a whole bunch about him, and and then the conclusion at that lunch was, he made a profession of faith, he came to trust in Christ when he was about 18 years old, but he never got involved in a good church, and he never took the step of baptism. So I said, looking at all the data, and I made really clear, sure, that he was a believer. I didn't just willy-nilly say, you just need to go be, be baptized. And he was going to a good Baptist church, so I encouraged him to go talk to his pastor and seek to get baptized. And eventually his pastor agreed that what he needed was to get baptized, and he did eventually do that. And his life remarkably changed after that. And it wasn't perhaps but three to five years, maybe, maybe it was seven or so, I don't remember exactly, but not long after that, he was so involved in his church and so committed to serving the Lord, he ended up quitting his job and is traveling around helping churches with IT stuff, because he was an IT guy like, like me at the university. But what was a huge part of causing all that growth? It was him taking that step that he'd been missing of getting baptized identifying publicly with christ joining with his body and getting active and serving a key part in that initial growth is baptism and he says here the baptism is identification with god the triune god here this is not just any old baptism this is a baptism identifying uh in his relationship with uh god who is here described as father son and spirit Again, is an identification of God as the triune God. Three persons in one. And baptism is also a recognition of the nature of God. So after baptism, and I'm running short on time, just try to draw our thoughts to a close here. Looking at the next major step of what he talks about, basically covers all the rest. He says, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this next step after baptism is an ongoing teaching, and this is at the heart and soul of discipleship. That's what it is, an ongoing teaching and learning relationship. Now, we tend to think discipleship is one person teaching somebody else and them learning and uh, and, and I use the example of apprentice. That's often how things go. You learn from a particular person or persons assigned to that person to teach them. But we must remember, discipleship takes uh, place in groups as well. I would like to think there is discipleship going on right now. You're being taught the Word of God, You're, it's being explained to you what it means. This is a way in which God uses to bring growth in the life of believers. So, preaching teaching, Sunday school, having groups together, learning the Word of God is a form of discipleship. So it's big groups, small groups, and one-on-one. And as I mentioned earlier, discipleship should be a work of uh, both what we are doing to help others, but also what we're doing to learn ourselves. There should be people that we have relationships with that are more mature than us, that help us to grow. Discipleship is a lifetime process. The work of the church is discipleship. Our missionaries are carrying out discipleship, if they're being faithful, which we assume they are, and we do keep them accountable. They're carrying out the work of discipleship in the uttermost parts of the earth for us. But we also should be engaged in that process through the context of our relationships, through the context of our responsibilities in the church. But I want you to see lastly uh, and quickly is the assurance of success on this mission. And it's tied to the presence of God. Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The presence of God here is uh, very similar to what we see in Joshua 1, 5 and 9, where God says to Joshua, I am with you as I was with Moses, I will be with you. What was his point? His point was he's equipping them. He is protecting them. He is providing for them. He is going to help them. And that's what Jesus is saying about this work. Jesus says in Matthew 16, like we said, in verse 18, I will build my church. Do you believe that? Do you believe he is still actively building his church? He is. I don't know about you, but it's very discouraging. A lot of people don't want to hear the gospel message today. A lot of people don't want to hear. We tend to think people aren't getting saved anymore. And while the numbers of those getting saved may be down from what's been true in the past... Jesus Christ is working and saving people, and we need to be part of that process. And besides, we have no guarantee about how many or who is going to be converted. Our job is to share the gospel and leave the results up to God. But there is assurance in this that He is with us in this work. This work is His. We just get the privilege of participating. So it's going to be productive. He is going to add people to church. It may not be as many or as soon or who we might think, but he is actively at work. He is also going to preserve us and protect us. And he says perpetually he'll do this. He says always, he's gonna always be there to help. He'll be always busy doing this work. And it's permanent, which again, reinforces that this work continues through the church age. And it wasn't just for the apostles. It is a work for us too. So in conclusion, I ask all of you, regardless of your age, children. Yes, are you willing to go to a foreign field to make disciples? Are you willing to follow the Lord to a foreign field and serve him there? But are you willing to serve the Lord here? Are you actively involved in seeking to pray for others to come to know him now. That is a way in which we participate in this work. We pray. We ask for people to be saved. And it's not just a question for young people, adults. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to sacrifice our time to to talk to people? Sometimes we're so busy and so focused on the things we need to get done, we don't stop to take time to talk to people about the gospel. Or, like I mentioned earlier, are we discouraged because we've shared the gospel with people many times before and they don't listen. Why are they going to listen this time? Jesus Christ is building his church and it is what he's given us to do. Are we involved? How are we involved? We need to be actively involved in this work because it is the mission of the church. We need to be disciplers and being discipled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given your Son that we can have life through his name. I pray, Father, if those, there are some that aren't truly converted to Christ, you'd help them to see that and come to know you and, and truly become a disciple of Christ. Father, I'm, I'm convinced the vast majority of those that are here today have already become disciples. Help us to actively seek for others to become disciples help us to be actively engaged in the work of discipleship whether telling somebody directly or praying for and giving to those who are doing that work but help us father not to be passive help us to be active in this very important work and father i'm admitting to you know i've been discouraged at many different times about people's response to the gospel it's a common problem we face help us father to stop being discouraged and trust you because, and believe what you've said. You are doing this work. Help us to trust you and faithfully work to support this work and help carry it out. Help us not to doubt, but help us to do it in faith. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.